Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter number 22. The book of Joshua and chapter number 22. We're still progressing on in this series of the book of or the period of the judges, and we're finishing up the book of Joshua within the next couple days. Remember, as we go through the book of Joshua, it is a transitional period as they leave the wilderness wanderings and begin to take the land of victory, the land of promise, the land of milk and honey that God had provided for them, that God had always intended them to have. And so remember, they start off with the first five chapters of the preparation for victory as they acknowledge the new leader and they pledge that they're going to follow the leader as he follows God, that they went ahead and they crossed the Jordan River. Remember that as they crossed the Jordan River, that the priest actually stepped by faith in the water. Then the waters dried up in the city of Adam, which is about 16 to 22 miles up ahead. I don't remember which one off the top of my head. But the rivers dried up and it dried up the rivers all the way down through the Jordan River, all the way to the Dead Sea, which already caused more fear in the land of a people who already feared the God of the children of Israel. They go and they observe the Passover. They observe circumcision. They go ahead and do other things of preparation. Then they go afterwards with God's blessing and begin to take the land. They start with a central campaign, which had Jericho and Ai and Gibeon. Then they had the southern campaign as the kings gathered together to attack Gibeon. Then it finishes off with the northern campaign. Afterwards, we see in the book of Joshua, the division of the land, that each of the 12 tribes had a certain land that was divided unto them. And we can see that portrayed with Caleb when he said, I want that mountain. And he said, I know I'm 85 years old, but I'm still young and I'm still believing God. And I want the mountain with all the giants on it. I want the giant giants. I want those. Let's go take that. God could give it to us. Let's go. And then they divided out the land. They moved the capital city from Gilgal to Shiloh. That was in chapter 18. And so now the capital city where the tabernacle is at. Why is it the capital city? Because they moved the tabernacle. And that's where the place where people were tasked to worship God. They moved that to Shiloh. Now... We saw as they divided out the land in chapter 20, they also divided out uh, the cities of refuge. And we spoke about that, that clear picture of Christ. These cities of refuge where people could run to and run to Christ and to be delivered from the destruction that they, they were going to have. And the next chapter, chapter number 21, we see the division of the Levitical cities that the Levites weren't specifically given land, but they were given specific cities and the Levites were supposed to travel around the people and to teach them the word of God. Now we come to chapter number 22. The land has been divided. Now the people are starting to be sent home and they have the different places where they're supposed to finish off clearing out the land and the enemies. And we see a little hiccup already within the tribes as the land is being divided. Joshua is getting older. Notice with me in Joshua chapter number 22. The book of Joshua chapter number 22. And look with me starting at verse number 1. 
Joshua 22 in verse number 1, the Bible says this, Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren, as he hath promised them. Therefore now return ye, and get you unto your tents, and unto the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. But... Take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. (coughs) So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went unto their tents. Now unto the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses hath given possession in Bashan. But unto the other half thereof gave Joshua among their brethren on this side of Jordan westward. And when Joshua sent them away also unto their tents, he blessed them. And he spake unto them, saying, Return with much riches unto your tents, and with very much cattle and silver and with gold, and with brass, and with iron, and very much raiment, divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. And the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, returned and departed from the children of Israel, out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go into the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, whereof they were possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses." And when they came unto the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan and the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. And with him ten princes of each chief house, a prince, throughout all the tribes of Israel, and each one was an head of their house, of their fathers among the thousands of Israel." And they came to the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, unto the land of Gilead. And they spake with them, saying, Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel, to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that ye have builded you an altar, that ye might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of poor too little for us, from which we are not cleansed unto this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? 
But that ye must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it will be seeing that you rebel tomorrow or today against the Lord. That tomorrow he will bring be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over unto the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel and that man perished not alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth and Israel, he shall know if it be in rebellion or if it be in or in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer therein burnt offering or meat offering or to offer peace offering therein. Let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying in the time to come that your children might speak unto your our children, saying, what have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord had made Jordan a border between us and you and ye children of Reuben and the children of Gad. Ye have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for the burnt offering, nor for the sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come that ye have no part in the Lord. Therefore said we that it shall be when they should so say to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say again, behold, the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from the following of the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, for sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord that is before the tabernacle. And when Phineas the priest and the princes of the congregation and the heads of the thousands of Israel that were with him heard the words that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh spake, it pleased them. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because ye have not committed this trespass against the Lord, but ye have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the princes returned from the children of Reuben and from the children of Gad out of the land of Gilead unto the land of Canaan to the children of Israel and brought them word again. And the thing pleased the children of Israel and the children of Israel blessed God and intended not to go up against them in battle to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed. 
For it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find, or actually a name that we find, in the book of Joshua chapter 22? Joshua 22 and verse 34, the last verse in this passage, and notice the name, the altar, Ed. The altar, Ed. And if you don't mind, with the Lord's help, we'd like to go and preach you a message about this true historical event that almost destroyed them, this altar, Ed. The altar, Ed. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And Lord, as we come up to you, this is a pretty lengthy, chunky passage. But Lord, we want to hit it in its context and we want to examine what's going on. I'm asking that you would give us much wisdom and much discernment as we open up this, the Bible and get discernment about what's going on. That we may apply it to our own lives and our own hearts. That we may not rebel against you and what you've given us to do. But we would cleave to you and stay close to you. I'm asking, Lord, that you would do your own work. Lord, I'm very conscious of my own failings my own shortcomings and i recognize that i have nothing to offer these good folks but you do so once again the best i know how i surrender myself to you and my thoughts my goals my ambitions lord you do it all fill me with your precious spirit and that you would get your own work accomplished through your precious word and in jesus name we pray amen Sometimes as you go through the book of Joshua and Judges, you hit a lot of complicated passages, kind of things where you scratches your head and says, I don't know exactly what just happened here, but it sounded important. I know this is kind of one of those things that, that God said it's important. He put a big chapter into it, a lot of verses into it. Something important's going on. I wonder what it is. And so with the Lord's help, I'd like to to try to dissect this a little bit and try to make sense. Now, this is a true historical event. This is something that occurred. And as you could tell, this is something that had rising tensions to it, that they were actually preparing to go to war against the same people they fought against. So this is something that that is a very big national deal. This is something that they're afraid is going to affect all of the children of Israel. And so if you don't mind, let's take some time and let's examine this text and examine what's going on. And the first thing that we see here is the dismissal of the two and a half tribes. The dismissal of the two and a half tribes. If you don't mind, notice with me in verse number one, chapter 22 in verse number one. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh and said to them, Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And have obeyed my voice and all that I commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren as he hath promised them. Therefore, now return ye and get you into your tents and the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. Now, he dismisses the two and a half tribes. Now, what is occurring? Now, remember before Moses died that they went to the other side of Jordan. They went to the east side of the Jordan River. And the land was nice. The land of Bashan and Gilead. And the, the two tribes and a half tribe. So Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh looked and said, 
Hey, I know we're not to the promised land yet, but look at this land. This is great land. Would it be all right if we stayed here? Could, could we stay here? I mean, you guys go ahead and take that side and we'll stay here. And so Moses made an agreement with him um, that said, all right, fine, you can stay over here. However, you need to send your warriors when we cross the Jordan River. Your warriors need to come and you need to help your brethren. You need to help the rest of your country. You need to help the rest of your, your fellow uh, uh, Hebrew people to go conquer the land. After that, we'll allow your soldiers to come back and you could live. And so that was the agreement they made. that They could come back, they could have this land as long as they sent their soldiers to fight. And they did. Joshua's uh, complimenting them and says, you kept your word. We've, we have rest. God promised us rest. We have pushed out a lot of the people. Now we can have footholds. We're now in this, this territory now. We're now in the place where God has given us rest. And now each individual tribe has to push out the rest of the uh, riffraff, the Canaanites that's in the land. Go home. You guys have done well. Go home now. You've earned this rest. Go back. Uh, go back to your families go back and spend that time. And so he's releasing them. They could go back. Each of the tribes now are living where they're not having a big mass army anymore. Basically, he's disbanding the army. Everyone go home. But he just doesn't leave it there. He gives them some reminders. He says, now as you go home, verse 5, but take diligent heed. Notice it says, just don't take heed. Remember the word heed carries the idea of paying attention. Don't just take heed, take diligent heed. You pay attention. Listen to my words. It's almost like a parent who says, look at me now. Listen to what I am saying. He's putting emphasis on here. He's saying, all right, you take diligent heed that when you go back, notice what he says, take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you. Now, he says, you take special attention that you obey the Bible. Moses gave you certain commandments. God, through Moses, has given you 613 laws. Not just the Ten Commandments, but he gave you all these laws. You know what some of these laws included? Some of these laws included how to live. Of course, we have the Ten Commandments. But it also said how to worship God. Now, God specifically said how to worship him is that you didn't go wherever you wanted to go sacrifice an animal. You had to go to one place and one place only, wherever the tabernacle is. And if you remember, the tabernacle is now in Shiloh, which is now the capital city. So what was to happen is that they, they were living on the other side of the Jordan, that they were to obey the different feast laws and part of that required them to cross back over Jordan to make the trek to the capital city to where the tabernacle was at and there they would follow the different trespass offerings the the Passover they would go through the different feasts that they would have and he's telling them you obey everything that they told them to to do that you only sacrifice here Moses made a big emphasis that God through Moses said this is the only acceptable place now now again remember to put things in order you say well what about Abraham didn't he put up altars different places what about Isaac didn't he put up altars what about Job he sacrificed for his own children well that's why we do things in time order Job Moses or Aaron, uh, sorry, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were all before the writing of the law. 
before all of that, there was no written law saying where to sacrifice and where to do stuff. Now, because of Moses and because of law, because of what God has sent forward in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, and then retelling it in the book of Deuteronomy, that they are now only allowed to do sacrifices a certain way at a certain place. Now the law is established. You can't just go wherever you want and sacrifice. You have to come to the temple or to the tabernacle. By the way, a little time out. That's also why the Jewish people cannot continue their the following the law like they want because there is no temple until the temple is brought back they cannot do the animal sacrifices if the jewish people had a temple today they would go to the temple and do the sacrifices that part of the law still stands but they do not do any sacrifices anywhere else because there is no temple today so they're kind of incomplete so they're obeying to a, to the degree we can't sacrifice anywhere else we can only sacrifice in the temple. Now, that's what they're telling them there. I know it's inconvenient. You are different across the Jordan River. Now, remember, they didn't have cars. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't whatever else. That means someone would have to plan their trip, raise the money. They would have to go from where they're at, cross a river, go to the capital, do their sacrifices, do obey the law. And then return back. Now he's giving this emphasis. Because he knows people. You know what people do? What's convenient. It's not convenient me to drive all the way over there to go to church. I don't think I want to go today. I know that you've probably never had that temptation. But regular folks do. That they, they, they get to the place and I'm tired. And it's not convenient I think it'll be all right if I just turn on the TV and I'll watch whatever the TV preacher says. And I think that'll be fine with God. Well, that's not what God has commanded to these people back then. They were to go to the trek, even though it was going to be inconvenient. He's telling them, don't forget what Moses told you. Now, why are you bringing this up out of the 613 laws? Why are you bringing this up? Because this is the whole point of the story is that they're afraid they have disobeyed God and they're trying to do sacrifices somewhere else other than where God told them to go. And so this is the emphasis. And he's playing that take diligent heed that you obey, that you do the commandment of the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you. Notice this, to love the Lord your God. Do you know part of this worship involves loving God? You say, how does this work in? Well, Jesus said clearly, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, words are cheap. Anyone could say, I love God, but I'm not going to church. I love God, but I could worship God out in nature and I could turn on my TV and I could do all this other stuff. But again, we're supposed to obey what God has given us to do. Amen. What did the Bible say today's time? Never forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The Bible says this is an important thing. This is an important thing. Now, I'm not trying to make direct correlation. I'm just applying from time to time because we all know human nature. We all know that there are some people here today that love this church, that love God, but they're not here today. Why? Not convenient to them. And by the way, some of us have been that way from time to time. We all have to be careful. 
what he's doing is he's trying to tell them what the temptation's going to be. It's going to be where it's, uh, it's easier if I go ahead and do this. But by the way, any church worth going to is worth the drive. It is. Especially since good churches seem to be rare and rare. By the way, there's still good churches out there. But they seem to be rarer and rarer and rarer. A good church is worth the drive if you could get there. Now, notice as it goes on in verse number five. But take diligent heed to the commandment of the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave to him. That word cleave is a very important word. It's the only word in the English language that it's its own opposite. It could mean to cut and separate. It could also mean to hold on tight to. Here it doesn't mean to cut and separate. Means to hold on tight to, cleave to God, cleave to Him, stay close to Him, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. So He says, All right, guys, you can go home. But before you go back, don't forget to love God. Don't forget to obey Him. Don't forget to stay close to Him. Don't forget to love Him. Don't forget to do this because of Him. By the way, why do people go to church? It should be because of Him. It's all about him. It's all about him. Why are the people in the Old Testament days, why are they supposed to go to the tabernacle? Because they love him. Because they love him. That should be the total motive. Not because I have to. By the way, we've all been there too. You know, some of the kids have been drugged or raised on drugs, right? Drug to church Sunday morning, drug to church Sunday night, drug to church Wednesday night. And just dragging them. You know, sometimes you don't go because you want to. You do it because you have to. God... God wants us to have the pure motive. We're going because we love him. It should always be about him. And he's telling them, you go back and you obey and you love God and you serve God. And because you love God, it should change. It's not inconvenient if you're doing it out of love. When we start complaining, it's because our love has filtered a little bit and we get our eyes off him. It shouldn't be inconvenient to obey God because we love him. Because we love him. That's the motivation. So he tells them, go home. Go back. Just remember to love God and obey him because of your love for him. Verse number six. So Joshua blessed them and they went their way and they went to their tents. Now, to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan. But unto the other half gave he Joshua among their brethren on this side of Jordan westward and Joshua sent them away to their tents and he blessed them verse 7 is just explaining why are we talking about two and a half tribes because one half said we want over here and the other half said we want over here and they said okay fine that's all verse 7 is is talking about why are we talking about one half of the tribe verse 8 and he spake to them saying return with much riches into your tents and very much cattle and silver and with gold and brass and iron and very much raiment divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren so basically go home and when you go home just don't be stingy share what you have to those who didn't get to come and enjoy the fight those that stayed home and protected your wives and whatever else spread it out and be happy serve god Verse 9, and the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, whereof they were possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So, good, they divided. They went home. But now the trouble begins to spark. We don't know how much time passed. It wasn't the next day. It could have been. A couple years. But all of a sudden something erupted. 
Notice with me, as we come to the second thing here, the accusation of the tribes. The accusation of the tribes. We saw the dismissal of the tribes. Now the accusation of the tribes. Notice with me in verse number 10. And when they came to the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see. So what happened over time? We don't know how much time, maybe a couple months, maybe a couple years. But what happened is that all of a sudden people are looking on the other side of Jordan and said, what's that? What are they building over there? Ever seen a building be built and you're guessing what it is? Is that going to be a parking lot? Is it going to be a spa? What is that going to be? Well, they're building something. And when they're done, it is a great, huge replica of the altar that was, that was supposed to be in Shiloh. And so for people, they don't know what's going on. They start to get alerted. Uh-oh. Do you see that? They just built an altar. They're disobeying God's law. We're in trouble. This is not good. So what they do is they have a meeting. Verse number 11. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan in the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves at Shiloh, the capital, to go to war against them. Now, what has happened is that they spied and they looked over there. And sure enough, there's this huge altar. Now, if this altar is being used for worship of God, it is in direct violation of Scripture. And so the children of Israel said, look, they're disobeying already. They're already getting away. They're already shifting away from God. You know, it's by little steps. Well, I'm still serving God, but I'm doing it at home. Well, I'm still going to church, but we have our own house church. Well, I'm still... Reading the Bible, but uh, I'm still reading Bible verses, but it's in my Left Behind book series. You know, they're coming up with things and it's taken further and further and further away. Now, this is what they're saying. They don't know what's going on. The only thing they know is a fact is they built an altar. They are worried that because of it, that it's going to cause them to go away from God And they already know by experience, and we're going to bring that up here in a second, when one part disobeys God, the consequences flood to everyone else. And they said, if they're disobeying God, we don't want the consequences to go on us. We need to do something on this before the consequences come. We need to head this off. We need to take care of it now. Verse 13. And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben, unto the children of Gad, and to half tribe of Manasseh, unto the land of Gilead, Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten princes of each chief house a prince throughout the, all the tribes of Israel, and... Each one was ahead of their house among the fathers, among the thousands of Israel. So what they did is they sent representatives. They sent Phineas, the son of the high priest, to go. And he had ten princes or ten heads of state of each of the tribes to go with them. And they're going because they said, we need to clear this up. Let's confront them. Let's just not assume. Let's confront them and tell them how dangerous this is. And let's see what we can do to resolve this. Let's just, we don't want to fight, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's try to figure out what's going on. Let's warn them. Maybe they'll repent. Let's just go talk to them. And so Phineas and 10 representatives go. So they're not sending an army. They're just sending 11 representatives, 11 ambassadors. 
And so, verse 15, they came into the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, and to the land of Gilead, and they spake with them, saying, so they gathered up the other people, and they said, thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, what trespass is this that you've committed against God of Israel, to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that you've builded you an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. So they come up and said, we're worried about this. Why have you chosen to disobey God's word? Why have you built this altar? Don't you know we're not supposed to worship God at any other place other than where the tabernacle is at? This is dangerous. What are you doing? What are you thinking? He goes on and they explain why they're so concerned. Verse number 17. Is the iniquity of Peor... Too little for us, in which we are not cleansed from this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord. Now, what is this referring to? This is referring back to the book of Numbers. Remember there was a a guy by the name of Balaam. Remember the story of Balaam and Balak? Balak was a prince of Moab, and he hired this preacher, Balaam, to go curse Israel. And remember the whole, the whole thing where he prayed to God. God said, don't go. And he said, sorry. God said, I can't go. And they came back and said, well, what if we pay you more money? Well, let me go check with God. Like God's going to change his mind just because more money is being offered. But the problem with Balaam is that he really wanted to go. And so finally God said, you're going to do what you're going to want to do anyways. Just do what you're going to do. Okay, fine. God said, I can go. It's not what God said, but God... But he took it that. So he rides on the donkey and God tries to warn Balaam again. But he puts an angel in front of the donkey and the donkey stops. And then the strangest thing happened. He smacks the donkey and the donkey talks back. Now, normally, I don't know about you, but I would probably take a pause for a second and try to resurvey what's going on. If my animals started talking to me, especially when he's saying, why did you hear me for, you know, and. He, he just said, he started talking, having a conversation with him. Well, I'm trying to go. You're not going. And an angel was there. And basically, that was another warning for Balaam. Don't go. Well, I'm determined to go. So he goes. So he goes to Balak. And Balak says, I want you to curse them. I heard that God answers your prayers. So you stand and you curse the people. And he says, all right, here it goes. God bless these people in a special way and blesses them. And Balak said, wait a second, I hired you to curse them. Why are you blessing them? He says, I can only do what God tells me. I told you that in the first place. So he tries it again. All right, this time do it right. Curse the people. All right, God bless these people. What are you doing? Well, I told you that I can only do what God tells me to do. All right, fine. Let's do it a third time. A third time. God bless these people. Balak's mad. He says, now you blessed them four times. And I know God answers your prayers. Now you bless them. How are we going to defeat them? Well, Balaam said, I still want the money. And he says, I can't do it by prayers because God's not going to let me sing. He says, let me teach you how to make God curse his own people. How can God curse his own people? He says, What you do is you go make friends with them. And what you do is you show off your pretty ladies and let them get married to your pretty ladies. And guess what will happen? Your pretty ladies will teach them to serve other gods. And God will curse his own people because they stopped obeying him. And they said, that's a good plan. And you know what happened? The next chapter, 
They bring the ladies down. The children of Israel go hubba bubba. And he says, wilt thou? And they wilted and they got married. And you know what happened? They begin to serve a false god called Baal Poor. We see here the shortened version, P-E-O-R. That is a false god. And you know what happened? God cursed them. There was a plague that went through there. But notice what it says here in Joshua, verse number 17. Is the iniquity or the sin of Peor too little for us from which we are not cleansed unto this day? You know why they're saying that? Because they still have some of the Moabite ladies still living with them. Not all of them were perished. They still have some that are still saying, well, what about this other God? And what about this other God? You know what God intended in the first place was to get rid of all the Canaanites so they could not be drawn away from other gods. But now it keeps springing up every now and again. It has to be taken care of. Well, what about this other God? Well, I want to do things my own way. Well, why don't I worship this? Well, I could worship God and do this at the same time. And it's causing problems still. And they said, don't you understand that we're still seeing consequences from? Don't you understand that disobeying? We're still having consequences for it. Don't you see the consequences that's going to happen if you disobey God? They're bringing up this past event to show how important it is to obey God. By the way, all of this in this chapter all the way down is talking about one central theme. Separation from the world unto God. And that's something that we fight against today. Because we don't like to be different from the world. We like to look like them, smell like them. We don't want to stand out. But the world is going a different direction than God and it will bring us away from God. We have to be careful because there's so much influences, whether it's movies. Movies do not bring you closer to God. They drive you further from it. Worldly music, even so-called Christian music, drag you further from serving God. All of that is used the world system. You say, what's wrong with watching uh, this movie over here? Well, what's good about it? What does it do to bring you closer to the Lord? Or will it over time, even the so-called good shows, and we have to be careful. You say, do you have a TV? Yes, I do. But we try to guard what we watch. You know why? Because it changes the way you think. It lets you sympathize with it. Well, you get used to it. You know, for example, you watch enough TV, you start to be desensitized of people having relationships outside of marriage. And it doesn't become a big deal. So what happens when your kids do it? It's not that big of a deal because everyone else is doing it. It is a big deal. But all that stuff drags you and pulls you away. That's what the world does. And that's the lack of separation. God says we have to be separate from the world unto him. We got to stay close to him. May I do an illustration? Let me pull three kids really quick. Stanley... um, Um, Krista and I need another one. Zeb. All right. Come up. All right. Let me do an illustration. I know this is taking a little bit more time. Sorry. Longer message today, but it's important. All right. Let's do an illustration. All right. Now, let's say that this is God. Now, he's not God. He is just a picture. Okay. Let's say that Mr. Stanley here is a picture of the church. And Krista is the picture of the world. Now, what happens? The world is always getting further and further away from God. So it's always moving further and further away. Okay. Now, what happens if the church is just separate from the world? There's a little gap between the world and the church. But if it's not connected to God, 
that what happens is as the world moves away, there's still a gap, there's still a separation. But what's happening to the church? It's also moving further and further away from God. But notice this. Let's reset. If the church and us individually, Christians, are separated from the world unto God, what happens is that even though there may be a little bit of a gap between us and God, as the world gets further and further away, guess what? There's also a bigger difference between us and the world. By the way, that's not what we like. We don't like to be different. We don't like to look different, talk different, dress different, whatever. But we're going to be if we're separated to God. That's the next several chapters. God is putting an emphasis on being separate and that we will be different. That's part of it. But we're most important is to be separate unto God. That's the goal. Sit down, please. And the next couple chapters, including this, it's trying to put an emphasis We have to be separate from the world because it's going to pull us away from God. That is what's going to happen. And that's why they're bringing these specific illustrations. Let's go back. Do you remember we were all serving God and then these ladies came and we started to serve other people than God? Look at the consequences and we're still suffering from it. Notice the next thing they bring up. Verse number 18. But if you must turn away the day, uh, turn away this day from following the Lord, and it will be seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Do you know that people's sin affects not just them, but can affect the whole country? Do you know that our country, even though it started off with Christian values and trying to follow the Bible, that the more that it falls away from following the world or following God, the more consequences we have to endure just being part of it. That's just how it is. Hasn't it been true that in your lifetime, May, the next last eight years, we have seen things occur that we never thought we would see that happen? You know why? Because there's consequences for people's actions. And God is a just God. And yes, we're affected by it. We're not in a bubble that as consequences hit our nation, it's going to affect us. And that's what they're saying here. Don't you understand that your sin affects us and that the the judgment and the consequences affect us? That's why we're telling you don't sin. Don't turn away from God. We're self-preservation. We don't want the consequences. Verse number 19, notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass over into the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us, in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. Verse 19 is practical application. He's saying, hey, if there's so many idols and so much junk over there that you can't help but to sin, move! Come over here. We'll allow you to stay with us. We'll make place for us. Don't stay over there if it's going to cause you to sin. Get rid of those things. Get away from those things. Do something. You know why so many people got rid of their TVs? Because they couldn't help but to watch it. And it was dragging them away. That There is a practical thing. You say that's extreme. How extreme is it to keep you to follow God? If you can't stay away from it, turn it away. Someone says, what do you do about a brand new Christian who's used to listen to rock music? Do you suddenly give them hymns and stuff to listen to? No. You know what I do? Tell them not to listen to any music 
And I give them preaching tapes. And let them listen to preaching tapes for a while. And after several months to a year of listening to nothing but preaching tapes, they can't go back to rock music because they've lost their appetite for it. You see, we, you may have to go through extremes, but it's for the best. To separate unto the Lord. To go unto God. Do it. If, if you have a hard time, you say, my house is right next to the bar and I can't help but go into the bar. Move. Do something. Stay with something. Do something. If the environment where you're at is causing you to sit. Now, they're given a practical application here. Do something. Don't just stay there and dwell in it and make it get worse. Do something about it. Verse number 20. It goes back and gives another illustration in, in Joshua's time. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of, the, of Israel. And that man perished not alone in his iniquity. You know when Achan sinned, he just took something that didn't belong to him and he hid it. It just didn't bring consequences on him. But it affected his whole household because of it. No man sins to himself and no man has consequences to himself. It affects other people. People. That's the emphasis they're placing. You may be in a church like this and you say, Well, I'm glad to be on this. But if you're sitting, sneaking, watching pornography, it's going to affect all of us. It will affect this church. You're sitting with bitterness and unforgiveness in your own heart and you don't want to fix it. It's not just going to affect you, it can affect all of us. It just doesn't affect one person. It affects others around you. There are consequences. Sin always takes you further than you ever wanted to go and will cost you a lot more than you ever wanted to pay. Its consequences are so deep. And they're warning them. So they get the end of their speech. They give the accusation. They bring it up. Now what we see is the defense of the tribes. The defense of the tribes. So they said, all right, we don't want you to sin. You got this altar up here we're worried that you're going away from god and please don't go away from god now you speak verse number 21 and the children of reuben and the children of gad and half the tribe of manasseh answered and said to the heads of the thousands of israel the lord god of gods the lord god of gods he knoweth and israel he shall know if it be in rebellion or in transgress against the lord save us not this day they're saying, hey, if we messed up, we're willing to take the consequences. We're sorry. We didn't mean to cause us a big thing. We don't think we messed up. We're going to allow God to judge us. By the way, that's good humbleness right there. To say, if I messed up, I'm willing to get it right. If I messed up, I'm willing to take the consequences. I didn't mean to. I'm trying to do this in purity of heart. They're saying, we didn't, we're not trying to sin. We're sorry. But if we did, we'll accept the consequences. Verse 23 that we have built an altar to turn from the following of God. They're saying that we haven't done this. But God knows, knows that we've built this. And it was for the purpose of turn from following from God. Or to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering. Or to offer priest offerings therein. Let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done this, this for fear of this thing. They said we didn't do this to turn away. In fact we built the altar for just the opposite. We built the altar because we were afraid that not just us, but our children will grow up and they'll fall away from serving God. So we wanted to build a reminder that you keep following God. You keep following God. Notice as it goes on, verse 24. And if we have not rather done this for the fear of this thing, saying, in the time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? 
For the Lord God hath made Jordan a border between us, and ye, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, have no part of the Lord. So shall your children make our children to cease from fearing God. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for the burnt offering, nor for the sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us, that we may do the service of the Lord before him with the burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in the time to come, you have no part in the Lord. So basically what they said is they said, we know that we live a long ways away. We know that it's inconvenient to go there. And we were afraid that our kids will say, well, I don't really want to go over there. And they're going to grow up and they're going to leave um, going to, sac- to the sacrifices. It'd be like us saying today that we're fine serving God, but I'm really worried that my kids will choose not to go to church. I'm choose that, afraid that my kids will stop reading their Bible and that they'll fail away. And so I wanted to build something, a reminder to say, stay close to God, stay close to God. You know what happens? What we do in moderation, the next generation does in excess. That the first generation has convictions. The next generation has preferences. The third generation has opinions. You see, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. It becomes type of thing where the first generation says, I'm going to church whether, whether it's sun shining, whether it's raining, whether it's what I'm going, whether I'm sick or not, I'm making it a church. There is no excuses. The next generation says, well, I prefer to go to church whenever the doors are open. But, you know, and the third one says, well, it's my opinion that I should go to church. But, you know, if something else gets in the way, it's no big deal. It's kind of, you know, see, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. What every generation has to do is they have to learn to live by faith for themselves. Every generation needs to become the first generation Christian. Where it's not going off mom and dad's faith, but it is their own faith. And that's what they're concerned of. They're they're trying to look out to the future and trying to say, I know we're going to serve God. But what about our kids? We don't want them to fall away. We don't want them to get lazy and say, it's too far. I'm not going to make it today. <laughs> I'm sick. See, <laughs> I can't go. You know, or whatever excuses they may, go, may come up with. Because one day they're going to grow up and they're going to have to choose for themselves to follow God or not to follow God. And so they said, we decided to do something as a reminder to keep being faithful to God, to keep being faithful to God, to keep being faithful to God. That was our motive. We weren't trying to build a place of sacrifice. We weren't trying to build. We're sorry that you took it that away. We did it to protect ourselves. We did it in this way. We, we did it out of innocence. Verse number uh, 24. Therefore said we that it should be when they should say to us that our generations in time to come, that we may say again, behold, the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for the sacrifices, but is a witness between us and you. They're talking to their, their kids. You see that? That's a reminder that we're still going to serve God. That's a reminder that we have something that we're going to still serve, serve him. Verse 29 God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following God to build an altar for burnt offerings and meat offerings or for sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord our God that is in his tabernacle. They said, we're still going to the tabernacle and our kids are still going to go. We just built this as a reminder. We didn't mean to scare you. So we see the defense of the tribes. And then after that, we have the absolution of the tribes. Uh, 
what's the verdict? Verse 30. And when Phineas the priest and his princes of the congregation and the heads of the thousands of Israel were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the and children of Manasseh spake, it pleased them. And Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and to the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the children of Manasseh, this day we perceive that God is among us, because you have not committed this trespass against the Lord, but now ye have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the princes returned from the children of Reuben, and from the children of Gad, and from out of the land of Gilead, unto the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought them word again. And the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God, and did not intend to go up against them in battle, to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called this altar Ed, for it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. So Phineas says, all right, guys, you weren't trying to sin. It wasn't your intention. We understand what's going on now. Thank you for talking with us. By the way, wouldn't it help our world right now? You know, we live in a nation that's so divided and partly because no one listens to each other anymore. We resorted to name calling or whatever else. And we've got away from sharing of opinions to just blasting people because they don't believe like we do. And they do the same thing. If we don't believe like we do, we're hypocrites, racists, whatever else and things. We live in such a divided country and we've lost the art of debate. We've lost the art of talking. We've lost the art of actually considering uh, what someone else is thinking and whatever else. Now, I'm not trying to say to change our minds, but aren't we in a place where no one talks anymore? It's drawing up arms. And isn't it making our nation worse? What happened is they said, before we go draw armies and before we start fighting, let's go confront them and say, we're very concerned for this. We think this is something that's wrong. And they listened to them. And afterwards they said, I understand where you're coming from. You're good. Okay, you do what you feel like you need to. We're going to stay out of it. You know what? And there was peace in the land. Now you say, again, why is this in here? It didn't affect anything. There was no civil war. What was going on? God is putting an emphasis once again in the next several chapters, chapter 22, chapter 23, and chapter 24, about the importance of being separated from the world unto the Lord. You see, that's such an important thing. Because there is only one God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goeth to the Father but by me. You see, heaven is a perfect place. That's why we want to go there. Up in heaven, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. But what makes heaven really worth going there is that God is there. That Jesus is there. And how the Bible describes God and Jesus is that they are holy, holy, holy. The word holy carries the idea of perfect. So you could say it this way, that God is perfect, perfect, perfect. The problem, dear friend, is that none of us are perfect. Do you know I'm a pastor of a church, but I've told lies? How many have ever told lies before, right? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar, right? You know, I'm a pastor of a New Testament church, but I've disobeyed my folks. How many have ever disobeyed your folks? So by our own admission, we're not perfect, are we? We, the Bible says that same thing in Romans 3.23 where it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, the good news is, is that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That we're guilty. We're deserving of death. We're deserving of hell. 
But God loved us so much, he wanted us to be in heaven with him. So he sent Jesus to die for us. That Jesus died on the cruel cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he rose again. When he rose again, it proved two things. First of all, it proved that Jesus was God. And it also proved that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus was made. And all that was left is that we must individually and personally ask Jesus to be our Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God says, I want you to be up in heaven. I want you to be with me. But another thing that happened is that when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And now God wants worship from you. The Bible talks about in John chapter 4 that they that worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. Those are two ways that you have to worship God. First of all, you have to be saved. According to the Bible, a lost person cannot worship God. It cannot happen. That's Bible's very clear on that. We understand that there's a lot of churches going on around the world that are trying to use unsaved people to worship God. And it doesn't work. If the purpose of a church is to bring lost people, then then that's not it. You know, the Bible doesn't say anything about lucky sinners coming into a church. We're supposed to go out to them and tell them about the Lord and then bring them in so they can worship God. This church service, even now, I give the gospel every chance I get. But this church service is not designed for lost people. It's designed for saved people to worship God. Now, anybody who comes in, we're glad for them to come in. And we want to tell them about the Lord. And we want to do everything. We want to present the gospel to them. And we're glad that they're here. But the Bible says not only do we worship God in spirit. It means saved people. We must worship God in truth. That means we have to do it the way that God told us to do it. And he does tell us how to do things. God doesn't let us guess. He tells us very clearly. We're supposed to sing praises to God. We're supposed to give an offering in worship to him. We're supposed to have the preachers, uh, the scriptures read. And then we're supposed to apply the scriptures. That's all part of a worship service. That's how God intended it to be. But we know that there's a lot of things done out there in the name of God that is not done in worship. For example, in Phoenix, Arizona, where we're at, they had a special thing called a Bible and beer service where you can go. Our Christians who um, who are saved can meet other people in a bar like society over Bible and beer. Does that sound like something the Bible would condone? No. And so they come up with different things. They come up with different things that are against the scriptures. And there's a lot of things that that people do in the name of worship that God does not accept. But we have to be careful because those things draw us away from God. We have to be careful for our own self, not just what's done in worship, but the world itself will draw us away from God. God demands separation from us, not because he's trying to write a list of things that we can't do. By the way, if you got your attention, all the things that you can't do as a Christian, get your eyes on the wrong thing. You know, as a Christian, we have liberty. I have the liberty to serve God. I have the freedom to choose to worship him. I don't have to worship God. Do you understand that God doesn't twist your arm and say, worship me? 
You choose to do that. That's the liberty we have as Christians. You don't have the liberty to do whatever you want. You have the liberty to serve him. The Bible says not to use your liberty for an occasion to sin. You don't say, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. I could watch whatever show I want. You do not, dear sir. You do not, dear ma'am. You have the freedom to choose to serve God. And we have to be careful. There are certain things we have to guard ourselves because it will draw us further from God. Remember the song that we uh, sang at the very beginning where it says, My heart is tend to wonder, Lord, I feel it, to leave the one I love. Isn't that true of all of us? Our flesh doesn't want to serve God. It wants to get away from it. And if we yield ourselves to the flesh, we yield serving God. And by the way, when we stop serving God, there's consequences to follow. There's always consequences. God is trying to help us by putting up separation and putting up guardrails. You know what standards are? Standards are guardrails to keep us safe. They're not fences to keep us in. They're guardrails to keep us from falling over. And those are good things. And everyone should should put up fences around their life. You should choose for yourself. This is what I'm going to stay away from. You know, there are some things in my life that may not be sinful to do, but I choose not to because I'm afraid they're going to take me away from God. They themselves are not sinful, but I choose not to because I want to stay close to him. That's guardrails. That's protection. And this is what he's speaking about here. So let me ask you, dear friend, where are your guardrails? Do you have some things in your life? They may not be sinful things, but you know they drag you further from God. It may be your favorite hobby. But if your favorite hobby came to the place of church, guess what you're going to choose? The hobby. That will drive you further from it. It'll drive you further from God. What is it that consumes your thoughts? What is it that consumes your mind? Some of us need to do some fence building. Get your post hole digger and start putting some, putting some fences around your yard, around yourself. And say, I know that this show may not necessarily be sinful. But I, what I know, it drags my thought life away from God. I'm going to choose not to do that. That mystery book, it may not necessarily be sinful. But man, it, it drags my heart Away from God. I'd rather think about that mystery book than dragging God. You need to put guardrails. Things that are going to drag you farther from God. That's what he's preaching about here. That you choose to stay close to God. Rather than allow something in your life. That's going to drag you further away from him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero. 
6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available.